When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Love Tennis podcast with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I'm joined today by George Belshaw, our tennis writer, and Calvin Bethon, our tennis coach. Uh, we're going to be talking through all things tennis news from the last seven days, and we'll maybe start looking forward to the US Open, which I'm flying out to in ooh, 36 hours. I'm getting nervous already. Uh, joy of joys, I don't have to do any weird COVID tests. So um, thank you very much, Joe Biden, for that one. Probably the last thing I thank Joe Biden for for a while, but uh, we'll see how that goes. George, how are you? I'm I'm a little sleep deprived, James. I've been having. Oh, a... am I supposed to ask why, George? Tell us why you're sleep deprived. Hey, why? So I've come back to Birmingham to cat sit this week, uh-huh. and I've realised that because my parents have been away in various random UK locations on a little holiday, and. Uh, the cat just keeps like coming and waking me up at like four in the morning. I don't mm. know what its problem is. And I think what, what I've realized is that my mum has been treating this cat like a tiny child for a long time and giving it such ludicrous amounts of attention that it's now trying to get it off me. And I'm, I'm just not really playing ball, but it is disrupting my sleep quite significantly. So thankfully, they've just got back this evening and will be she'll hopefully be taking over the, the cat duties. But apologies if I don't come across as my freshest today. So you're sort of in training for having a child, basically. That's, that's what it sounds like. I think so, but it's putting me off that and also even getting another pet myself in the future. So it's going well. Calvin, are you also sleep-deprived, trying to keep up with players all around the globe? Um, yeah, a little bit, um, especially because I have doubles players in... Well, last week I had doubles players on the west coast of America, um, and that tends to mean... Doubles tends to go on later than singles. Uh, so, yeah, we had a match last week, I think, finished at 3 a.m. Crikey. That's uh, that's when you wish you'd just stumped up for the fight, to be honest. Although I know you're a Yorkshireman, <laughs> so realistically that'll never be the preferable option. Yeah. So. Um, 
Oh, incidentally, uh, we should give a plug to the books that you're selling, Calvin. It, speaking of being a Yorkshire and as tight as anything, I, I noticed from your Twitter today that you found a collection of some of the oldest tennis books I've ever seen. Um, uh, they're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> There's no wooden rackets on. I mean, they're, they're, they're like, they're, yeah, they're from like, I mean, they're about 10 years old. Mm. I, I was interested, though, because it's like, it's just lots of the side of tennis that like people like me who are don't work with elite players don't see but of all those books that you've put on your twitter i think they're about 16 what's like the one you've learned the most from or the one you're most interested in um i mean there are some old itf um conference books where basically they the itf run sort of research papers they they run sort of research and people write for them and like sort of like academic papers but for tennis if you will um, and some of those are really interesting. They got some of the sort of most renowned tennis coaches in the world who, who will just write articles. They're just compilations, really, of of that kind of thing. Mm. But um, so yeah, they're, they're quite interesting. Uh, there's some couple of fitness ones in the tennis fitness ones is there that are quite interesting as well. Some of them, you know, some of the books they're they're not very good, but um, <laughs> but you can get the whole lot cleverly packaged together. For the low, low yeah. price of 50 quid if you uh, head yeah, over to Calvin's. I will never read them again and put it that way. So <laughs> they might as well go to somebody who does want to. And might get something out of them. Um, let's move on. Uh, we've had a couple of emails this week that I uh, insisted to myself that I would go through. Uh, had one from Philip Gustafson out in Las Vegas. Always good to hear from you, Philip. Um, he says, does the pod think Berrettini's backhand is even top 100? And is his biggest gap in forehand is sorry is his gap in forehand and backhand ability the biggest we have ever seen? Uh, George, do you want do you want to posit an answer? Oof. Um, oh, cracky, that's a hard question. I, I think it is a top 100 backhand. To be fair, I think he's improved it a fair amount. Um, I'm not saying it's a top 20 backhand, but I, I would say somewhere between 150. Um, in terms of the biggest gap, I always think someone like John Isner's probably got a bigger gap. I think Isner's got like a pretty decent forehand, but his backhand is really awful. Um, so I would say that's a bigger gap personally, but I'm sure Calvin can probably answer both questions better than I can. Calvin? Um, I, I, I mean, he's, he's got a very good slice. His slice is excellent. Um, and what he does with his slice, which is different from what a lot of people do with his slice, is he's very good at breaking the sideline with it. So it makes it quite awkward because you're always hitting the ball from outside of the single sideline. You're always hitting it from sometimes outside of the tram lines, which then allows him usually to get a... Um, you've either got to go angle back so he knows where you're going or you're going to have to give him a forehand, which is huge. Um, but I assume we're talking about his backhand drive. Mm. Um I don't get is the, is the question is it if it's the question is whether it's one of the, the best 100 backhands in the world then no it's not um but I don't think it's got the biggest gap between it no I mean I'd say somebody like I mean Kyrgios is as is pretty it's a pretty big differential between his forehand and his backhand see I think Kyrgios's backhand is weirdly tricky I mean it, it's it's yeah. no, if it's it wasn't and if it wasn't anyone from I mean he just bunts it. It's like it's not a terrible shot, but he just bunts his forehand's huge. Hmm. Like on um, grass, I think it's a much more effective shot than others. Yeah, steps. probably because it's flat. Um yeah. pass would be another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't rate Sitsipass's backhand one bit. 
Um, you, you probably want to split the question, don't you, a little bit in terms of whether you're some offensive or defensive backhands as well. Like I think mm. the Berrettini backhand is pretty awful offensively in terms of like yeah. putting anything but away. It's, but... it's, as I've said, it's, you know, tennis is a sport where you always reach your potential. So is it a top 100 backhand? Yes, because he's in the top 100. <laughs> um, you know, is it a top 10 backhand? Yes, he's in the top 10. Mm. So you know, if it if it was if it wasn't, then he wouldn't get there, would he? I mean, I was so. the one I was thinking of when you know considering the biggest gap between two wings. I mean, Roddick, I was thinking of. I mean, that I Roddick has a huge one. I mean, Roddick was quite a unique player um, in that he had at the time he had maybe the two biggest weapons in the top one hundred and the single biggest weakness. Mm. Um, so maybe he's the answer. I do think, broadly speaking, players with absolutely massive serves and absolutely massive forehands rely on their backhands so much less because they're so used to that kind of one-two punch. That's normally where you get the big gap, which is why he's going to jump to my mind. But yeah, there was a spell um, in the like sort of nineteen nineties where you get these guys who had huge forehands and their backhands were pretty terrible. Um, like sort of guys like. Like Wayne Ferreira had a huge forehand. His backhand wasn't terrible, but it was not great. Guy called Magnus Gustafsson, again, just when I say huge forehand, if you if anyone can, anyone has not seen him again on YouTube, they had huge swing flat forehands that they absolutely, absolutely mullered. Uh, and then their backhands were kind of bunts. And then Mark Rosse was another one who had a huge serve, big forehand, and terrible backhand. I think pr probably the biggest gap I can actually think of, and this is, it was through no fault of his own, was actually for a while Del Potro. That mm. really was probably the widest gap. When he's he come back from the surgery, he didn't really know what to do with it. And he actually really developed that shot and a slice beyond it. But the gap was absolutely huge when he first came back. Yeah, that was injury, though. He couldn't put two hands on it. Yeah, well, that's what I, I mean. Like yeah, that, yeah. that was as as notable a gap as you can see, even though it wasn't as through his own fault. And obviously, then went on to close it. But very good. And um, thanks, Philip, for your question. Always great to hear from you from sunny Las Vegas. Uh, maybe they'll get a big ATP event out there one day, and we'll uh, we'll head out. I was just thinking, actually, like there really isn't a big tennis event of any. I mean, I feel like they must have gone there in like the nineties and done something. I There's a challenger. Know. There's a challenger. Is that a very popular It used popular to be a place challenger. as well where uh, it's quite popular, yeah. <laughs> um, um, no one leaves with um, their winnings. That's <laughs> um, it. Um, it used to be a place, though I think less so now, because it's not like the trend changed to like Florida and a bit of Dubai, but it used to be a place where a lot of players used to do their off-season mm, in Vegas. Yeah. Um, the Las Vegas Open... I mean, the list of people who won it tells you a lot about the Las Vegas Open. Benoit Pair, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tanasi Kokonakis, uh, nice. Vasek Pospisil, uh, Stefan Kozlov, and Sam Groth. The, the oh, and JJ Wolf. I missed out. JJ Wolf. Uh, Liam Brody made a final there once as well, five years ago. Uh, anyway, that's that's. I, I don't know. Just stood out to me. Is that a funny one? It's anyway, weird Philip, though at Vegas we'll... though with sports, isn't it that. I mean, I know they've got. A, I think they've got an NFL team there. Yeah, now. yeah. But I know that the American governing bodies of sports have always been very much against having things actually happen in Vegas, other than boxing. Um, it's well because they're so anti-gambling. I mean, traditionally, yeah. obviously, gambling is 
pretty pretty quickly now being legalized um in the US and I suspect that might change but yeah it's cuz they're so scared of corruption yeah. they think well if we're not actually there then they can't possibly uh, fix our matches, which uh, yeah. you know, is nonsense. Anyway, thanks, Philip. You've triggered an interesting discussion there. Uh, if you want to get in touch by email, you always can remember. It's lovetennispod at gmail.com. And I've got another one from Behind Cashews, uh, who's been in touch lots of times before, uh, loves Rafa Nadal. And he says, how many majors do you think Nadal will finish with if you had to guess? Something we've discussed a few times. Um, George is doing his face. So I'm going to give him a moment. George, give me a number. He's on 22 now. I keep yeah. losing track with this lot. He's 22 and Joffrey's is 21. Correct. Kroger is 20, isn't he? Uh, I think... I still think he will add two more. I think 24 is probably where I'd sit with Rafa. I'm not sure which two or how, but it just feels like if a draw opens up, possibly this US Open... If Novak doesn't get there, that would be very Rafa to go and mm. just win it and take himself to Swansea. Um, and again, if Novak can't go to Australia, why not? And obviously the French is always good. So I think he'll pick up two within the next 18 months. And then I don't see him going on massively beyond that. But I've said that probably for the last 18 months of about three blocks of that. I think he's going to play, including the US Open, I think he's going to play maximum 10 more Grand Slams, which is basically the US Open, two full seasons, and one more French Open for luck uh, to give himself like a retirement party because I don't, I think that's how much he's got left in. And I think he'll win three of them. So I think 25 is my. And also, like Margaret Court, like I can see that being a thing he'd want to go past. So, Calvin? I. Th- I- I think you're over-egging it there another two and a half years. I mean, he said he was close to retiring at the Australian Open this year. Mm. Like, that's... It would be a... It would be quite a turnaround physically, which we know he's capable of um, <laughs> if he did, if he played for another two full years. How many do you think I, he's going to get then? I think he'll win anywhere between none and two. Okay, so you're basically taking the under there, Calvin. And I've taken the over, and we're left ca- we're left, yeah. left left George Piggy in the middle. Yeah, you take the under, <laughs> hoping he's that it depends, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's like if if even if he stays at his current fitness now, I think he could win another two. But and he could stay at his current level of fitness now, but we just nobody knows how bad that foot is. Mm. Yeah, like if true. if if it deteriorates quickly, then. And also, it's bizarre, isn't it? He seems to like summon this, like, power up when it's the slams. Like, yeah. uh, it's th- hard to gauge his actual fitness, isn't it? I think sometimes. Uh, no, I don't think they play possum. I think when these guys say I'm not fit, like, I think it's a totally different definition. I think it's stuff, and I think there's also an element, especially with the older guys, to which it's like. Well, at the moment, if I play a three-hour match, I wake up the next day and I can't move. Like, and that's what they regard as not fit. Like, they can do it because adrenaline and muscle memory and everything else, but they can't recover or they can't, you know, do it to the, the incredibly high standards that they have. But, yeah, I, I take your point. I Like, the foot I hadn't really properly considered. I mean, 
the procedure he's had might last a year and then he might just have it again but you know that there's only so many times you can go to that well um specifically so a uh, good question behind cashews uh do let us know how many you think he's gonna win uh, i'd be very interested to hear what you think let us know on twitter as well um at love tennis pod whoever you are if, if you're cashews or not cashews um and remember uh if you've enjoyed this discussion and other discussions and you don't want to hear what george has to say you can pause the podcast now and leave us a five-star review and we will really appreciate it and if you write a five-star review i will read it out on air almost no matter what it says as long as it doesn't actually get me in trouble now you've restarted the podcast you can hear what george had to say Just to say, the only thing I'm certain of is he's not going to catch Novak's 30 slams that Ivanisevic is claiming he's getting. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's I, I question a lot of assertions involved in that statement that mean it mostly lives in a land of fantasy. But yes, you're partially right. Um, we've got loads to talk about today. We're going to talk about Emma Raducanu, who's had a good week running up to the US Open. Uh, a bit about Caroline Garcia, born at Chorich, of course, and his amazing recovery. Uh, Daniel Medvedev and Rafa Nadal, some uncertainty about Djokovic and Zverev as well. Well, lots of uncertainty about Zverev and Djokovic. Well, we'll get into that. Um, a bit about Nick Kyrgios, who's being sued, believe it or not. Uh, Kanish Curry's out the US Open, which passed me by until I read it in my notes. Uh, and we'll also have a bit of a look at the British charge in America, which is going well indeed. Let's start with Emma Raducanu. You may remember last week we delayed recording the podcast in an effort to uh, actually cover the Raducanu Williams match which was then delayed by a day which we didn't really see coming um, which is quite frustrating but nevertheless we can talk about it now she beat Serena Williams uh, extremely comfortably as it was 6-4-6 love she then went on to beat Victoria as a renker as the interviewer on court asked her uh, don't you respect your elders which I thought was quite a funny line but went down like a bag of cold sick uh, and she was then stopped by Jessica Pagula JPEG as they call her, who has been in very good form this year, in fairness, but was potentially... Well, you, you guys can tell me. Was was Jessica Pagula the only real test that Emma Raducanu had that week, Calvin? Um, in terms of il- current elite-level players, yeah, for sure. I mean, Serena Williams is like, she's, you know, she's nothing, nowhere near the level. Mm. Like, it, it's, you know, really based on tennis alone, she shouldn't be in the tournament. Mm. Um, you know, if there will be players playing, I mean, there was a challenger in Vancouver last week. I would think that everybody in the draw would have beat her. Mm. Everybody in the draw in Vancouver would have beat her. Um, looking at how she was last week, um, I didn't see the match against Azarenka, but I saw is, is Azarenka potentially retiring this week. So no, she, <laughs> I, it was valid that you say that. She said, "I'm making a big announcement." Uh, you know, watch this space and then announce that she's launching a podcast. Because um, oh, right. I also okay. thought she was trailing, trailing, retiring. Um, she, she's going to talk about what happened in Miami, for example, in that podcast. So we might get a bit more of an insight into exactly where she is with with her career. Because, as you say, it, it's it's been there's been some really bad results. Um, obviously, that that Miami one was a particularly bad one. Um, but losing 6-2, 6 love to Emma Raducanu, who, as we know, is a good player, but, you know... And she beat Kai Kanepi in the, in the first round, so she was clearly doing something right, but... Um... Yeah, no, that's fair, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, it's, you know, Raducanu had a, had a decent week. Um, it's, again, we don't really know where to position her on, 
mm. players who we should expect to beat and players who we shouldn't. Um, I didn't think she'd beat uh, Pagula, but I mm. thought she would beat... Um, I, I definitely thought she'd beat Williams and we don't really have enough information to know if she should be as a ranker or not. Mm. George? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think the Pagula one was probably the match I was most interested in in some ways. I mean, that's probably doing the Azarenka match a little bit of a disservice because Azarenka has shown kind of high-quality hardcore ability in the last uh, 18 months to two years. But Pagula's playing really fantastic stuff this year and it it was quite a tight first set and then kind of got away from her again. Um, but that that's the sort of level I think she needs to be focusing on far more than beating Serena who you know we say it every week don't we she's just not even close to to what she was she's not physically fit enough to compete at this level it's an absolute pipe dream the thought of her coming close to winning this US Open if she gets to the third round that in itself will require a very nice draw and a miracle I think um Azarenka was awful I think that's worth saying like I had expectations of that match being pretty interesting, pretty tight. What actually came off their rackets was one of the worst sets of tennis I've ever watched in my life. And that is really saying something. I've watched some terrible sets of tennis. <laughs> um, it was just dreadful. Um, Radakani was kind of struggling to get her own serve in, in the first first four games of the match. But Azarenka was playing, I, I just don't even know what was, was wrong with her. It was just absolutely appalling. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm not, I, I wouldn't want to discount the two matches because look, we'll look back in future generations and think, oh, that was a cool crossover where Raducanu beat these great champions and whatever. But if you look, if you dig deep into the matches, I mean, these were two appearing fallen giants of the sport, or at least in Azarenka's case, was an impossibly bad day at the office. So mm. yeah, I, I think that Pagula one is probably the more relevant match in many ways. And in quite a good way, in the way that she stuck with her, competed quite well, um, but really emphasising how far she still has to go to get to that level of consistency to be a top five, ten player. Um, what do we make of what she said afterwards about this run? Um, she said, I've tried a lot of things, and this year I think in some matches... I've lost a lot of matches from leading situations and probably just played two tents. I think I just need to swing. And I just said that the, these two tournaments, or this tournament especially, I'm just going to swing freely and take that and see what happens. Now, obviously, that oversimplifies things massively. And that's kind of how people talk to the media and that's the inevitability. But uh, Calvin, does that f sound like a positive thing when you think about the way in which she won the US Open and the way in which she's played since then? That... I, she said that and I sort of found myself nodding my head and saying, yeah, actually that does make a lot of sense that you need to just go out and, you know, play a bit more freely. Um, it's kind of one of those things that players just say, you know, sort of generic stuff. They always say it like they never say the opposite. They never go, oh, my plan is to be tight and not swing. Like <laughs> it's, it's all right saying I'm, I'm going to swing freely, but it's always like one of those, might, like, some oh, of them might I'm going to be more aggressive. Another thing is like, I'm going to be more aggressive. It's always like, I'm going to be more aggressive. Then they make too many errors and go, mm. I need to be more consistent. Then I need to be more aggressive. I do think that actually this summer she has at times said that. I mean, she, she said, um, she said in one of her press conferences, she said, oh, I'm, I'm, I got a bit sick of just pushing the ball around. Um, and, you know, kind of, 
suggesting that she had been too conservative. And, and I know that having spoken to people around her a bit that, you know, there has been a difficulty with transitioning from, you know, hitting the ball with a bit more shape to, you know, it feels to me at the moment, and maybe it's always like this, I don't know, but it feels to me at the moment like the top of the women's game is a very flat game. Like there's a lot of very big flat hitters and that Emma's kind of come up and, and, and taking that three week period aside, she's, you know, gone out and tried to play quite spinny and, and found herself blown away and then been like, oh, okay, actually you can't get away with that here because she hasn't necessarily played at that level a huge amount. I don't, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, Osaka hits it big and flat. Sabalenka does. Pliskova does. Shontek kind of then, does both, doesn't she? Oh, sorry? Shontek kind of does both. Like, yeah, I say Shontek's more of a spinny, more of a skilled player, more of a hands player. Halep definitely is. Mm. Um, the ball is definitely not a power hitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's all, you know, what about the tennis IQ? What about the famed tennis IQ? How come How come she's just coming out and swinging? You know, what about, how come she hasn't been hitting winners before? You know, where's that been? I would significantly challenge the idea that Raducanu has been trying to play a really quaint, skinny, uh, spinny game as well. I mean, I just I haven't seen any evidence of that really. I think it's more often than not she looks like she's overpowered. But I'm not watching her like really incredibly hitting drop shots like Javor or in a, you know I haven't seen that much dimension to her game in many ways. That's really one of my bigger criticisms of her that. She seems to kind of play the same way every time. Um, and sometimes she'll just catch the ball better and hit it harder. But I, don't, I haven't watched her play. She's played maybe within herself and not taken the strokes as well as she could. But I wouldn't say she's like played a different style, if that makes sense. I mean, what I will say is that if if she was speaking more from a, a state of mind type of thing, that she, she wanted to take the pressure off herself and she wasn't so fussed if she missed or if she lost a point, then that's different. But if it's purely, if we're talking purely from a technical and a tactical point of view, from the matches I saw last week, I, I don't think she played any different, really. She played better, but like I say, Serena Williams shouldn't have been in the draw. Like, I can't read anything into that. Um, but, and I didn't see her play as a ranker, but when she played Pagula, and I thought she played okay in that match, um, I thought she was definitely seemed a bit more more free of it, yeah. I, I genuinely, like, you know, despite sometimes that's a bit negative when we're talking about but I do think this was one of the more positive weeks she's had for a long time you know big names aside the way she was playing the way she was going after the ball um, there was a degree of confidence to it I think it's interesting isn't it I suppose where she suddenly looks good I mean I saw people suggesting on Twitter and I'm sure Calvin will shoot this down but that the ball might actually be having an impact in how she's playing here. You know, you heard like Craig Tizer talk about Barty having no chance of winning the US Open because of the type of ball they're using there. Is this ball favouring Raducanu? Does it suit her game style? Because there did seem to be a sudden kind of uptick in, in quality, I thought, in terms of her ball striking. But maybe that's just confidence rather than the magical ball. But the, the yeah, women's players don't do, know about talk that. about the ball, don't they? A lot of the US and how different yeah, it is. But- you know, I don't know about that. You know, I mean, what the one thing it, I, I'm, I'm not buying that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> the one thing, um, what it will help is it these sort of she only has to make sort of say quarterfinal last week, maybe make us she playing this week 
or not? No. No. Yeah, all right, okay. I was going to say that, you know, she can get a ranking up, but she's going to drop points. So, you know, I mean, that, that quarterfinal that she made last week would probably mean that a quarterfinal at the US and she probably won't lose as many points, won't drop as much as what she was previously expected to do. Um, but, yeah, I um, I think that would be the one thing that she could take a positive from. Yeah, um, just just on the ball briefly because there was a lot of chat about it last week and in lots of different ways. Shantae talked about it a lot. They also kind of, in the US Open swing, they switch between the balls. So I think, am I right in saying the US Open ball is a Wilson ball and the uh, some of the US hardcore tournaments use a pen ball as well? I mean, Calvin, are you aware of the... the those two balls and like what what's different about them or, or what's different about the US Open ball because people do talk about it a lot. I mean, we don't, we've not had pen balls in the UK for absolute yonks. They used mm. to be the most popular ball, but we've not had them really. I don't think you've been able to buy them here for about fifteen years. Mm. Um, yeah, so actually, I think Shontek Shontek said that she said I can't get them in Europe. I can't train with yeah. them in Europe. Yeah, so I don't, um, I, I can't comment on what the pen ball is like. Um, mm. If I'm honest, I can't comment on what the US Open women's ball is like. I know it's different because mm. um, I've only seen the men's. Um, the thing with the balls, it's, I, I always think they're a bit of a red herring. There aren't no balls that fail at that level. Look, when you're getting new balls every seven and nine, there aren't new balls that favor any player, really. Um, some balls might be better balls like the players will prefer and some of the balls are just not very good and some of them are good. But I don't think there's a ball that favours a certain type of player. I, I, I just don't buy that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, just on the rankings thing, uh, if Raducanu makes the quarterfinal of the US Open um, and if no one else were to move in the rankings, which obviously isn't true, but she, if she makes quarterfinals, she would still drop to about 40 in the world. Just, I mean, that gives you an idea of like exactly how much of her her ranking is obviously I mean obviously is is based on that that US good job she's going to win it then isn't it <laughs> uh, I mean credit to her she so she keeps getting asked oh aren't you worried about losing all these points she's like well I won the US Open from qualifying so you know I'll do that again if I have to which I I, I kind of liked the sort I, I'm I'm warming to Emma as she gets a bit more like. A bit more bravado with with when people say stuff to her. Whereas before, like she'd say something that she, someone would ask her something she didn't like, and she'd just sort of nothing it, or you know, give a very. She would often she has this trick where she answers a different question. Um, but now that she's a bit more like maybe she's feeling more comfortable, maybe she's more pissed off. I'm quite enjoying it. I think she's been like I do think her, her interviews have been better uh, because I think that she's actually spoken. Like what she thinks, she is a compelling listen on tennis. You know, I mock the sort of, and it's not her who said it. I mock people who's saying that she has a huge tennis IQ that's better than anyone in the world. I mock it, but you know, she's an interesting talker on tennis. Mm -hmm. And I think in a couple of the post-match interviews and in a couple of the press conferences, she's she's actually spoken about tennis. Whereas for about the last ten of the last twelve months, she's just been, and I'm sure she's been told to do this. She's just been giving generic answers where she's say talking a lot and saying nothing. Mm, yeah. I agree. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, Borna Chorich. had a remarkable run to win his first Masters 1000 title. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, George Belshaw, and Calvin Betton. As always, please do leave us... Uh, five-star review if you're enjoying the podcast uh, and if you get the chance to do so and do follow us on twitter at love tennis pod uh, we are counting down to the us open a couple of days to go till i fly out and a few more until the uh, tournament gets underway uh, but there's been a lot of tennis going on in the us and perhaps most significantly borna chorich with not just an impressive run through cincinnati uh, to take the title but an impressive couple of years to come back from a series of injuries um really from what he called the bottom of of the well uh to to get back to the top level of tennis and he roars back up into the top 40 um i mean his run i i can't remember who i said it of earlier this year that it might be the best run i've seen at a masters but this might beat it uh mazetti nadal bautista agut alja aliasim nori and then Tsitsipas in the final uh, Nadal, the only one to take a set off him all week, as you pointed out to me earlier, George. Um, I mean, like, I don't even, re- I still haven't really processed it, George. Yeah, it's a stunning week for him. Um, I mean, Char- Charich is one of those players who has always kind of threatened to be quite a top level player and then had a lot of setbacks. I mean, he. I think he kind of really burst through the big win over Nadal. In fact, I think he's one of the few players who's played Nadal more than five times and got a winning record against him. I think it's like him, Djokovic, and one other person who I can't remember who it was. So, so sorry for forgetting you, whoever you are. But, um, you know, he, he's always been a good player. I think he's been maybe 12 in the world, something like that, just outside the top 10, um, and had quite a few injury setbacks. He's been top uh, 10, hasn't he? I feel like just outside. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But do 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 do
chat to him before in kind of a mix zone thing and had a little kind of chat with him. And he, he's he's huge and he's stacked. Like he's really, really like more muscular than he looks on TV because he doesn't look particularly um, big. I don't think like sometimes when you see the tennis players running on TV, you think, oh, look at these small little men. And then you meet them in person. You're like, oh my word, look at the size of you. You're terrifying. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's been a great week. It's been... I think the variety of players he's beaten has been really impressive as well. You know, obviously Nadal, anyone beating him is impressive. You've got Massetti, kind of the one-handed backhand. You've got Nori, the left-handed grinder. Bautista are good, the right-handed grinder. Felix Ogier, Aliassime, the right-handed, you know, big server, two-handed backhand. Sissipas, the big server, right-handed, one-handed backhand. You know, he's kind of ticked off the majority of the styles this week, if you like. Um, so, yeah, but great to see him back and seeded at the US Open he, he's he's well in my fantasy thoughts in the, in that section because it's normally one of the toughest areas to pick the low down men's seed so to have a guy in there who's just won a Masters title on hard um, I think he'll be he'll be he'll be in my team I think it's always impressive as well um, for people who don't know he had shoulder surgery last year he spent the best part of a year out of the game um, before coming back in March uh, and then working his way back to fitness through through the summer, basically. Uh, he had shoulder, shoulder surgery in particular, I always think is impressive because it feels to me like that's one of the ones that can really do you. Like, knee surgery, you know, knees are a bit weird, but, you know, you can kind of reconstruct them. Shoulders, uh, I, you know, surgeons don't always know what's wrong with a shoulder and they try and fix them and it's so interconnected, it's such a complicated joint. It's obviously under so much stress in tennis as well. So it must be so hard when you come back from that to hit shots with confidence and and to be able to do anything with real confidence. So it's pretty impressive to, to have him come back. I mean, sorry, George. To say, there's almost two sides to the mentality, isn't there? You've got the, the physical concern about um, you know, dealing with the injury and how is that going to affect your game and always trying to get that thought out of your mind. But but you do have the flip side where it's like, man, I've been robbed of like a year and a half, two years of my career. I need to absolutely give everything I possibly can. I'm like so lucky to kind of be out here. And it did feel like there was a degree of that with him this week where he was just so ple- so pleased to be, be back there competing that he just, just kind of wanted it more. Hmm. Um, he, I was interested when he came through and I was writing something about him. Um, sorry, when he won the one in Cincinnati did last weekend. Uh, I was going through the people that he's been coached by and he's got quite a lot of big names on his like, you know, CV. He worked with Thomas Johansson, Miles McLaggen, Ricardo Piatti. Um, and I just wonder whether there's an element of all of these guys saw something in him, Calvin, and you know, that those guys wouldn't put their name to someone who, you know, realistically wasn't their their national player in, unless they thought that there was something to work with there. He, he he seems to be highly rated around the grounds is what I'm trying to say. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons why any coach would want to work for him is he's a phenomenal competitor. Mm. He's one of the most natural competitors that, that plays on the tour uh, and then one of the most intrinsically motivated players i don't think he's when i when i say that what i mean by that is that he's not motivated by legacy or money or anything like that he just wants to win like that that's what he lives for just winning and getting better at tennis um and i think that comes from 
his his upbringing. I know I know one of his coaches, one of his former coaches, uh, who coached him when he was in juniors, and um, he told me that when he he was when he initially started working with him, Corich's dad said to the coach, "There is nothing off the table. What you can do with him, nothing at all." Crikey! Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, great. <laughs> Also, yeah. also, red flag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His dad, I think, had been a player as well. Um, a bit, yeah. as far as I remember. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, I, I know we often ask what's his ceiling, and I, I don't know how meaningful that question is, but does he? do we now, if it, put him in this, like, oh, right, he's one of these eight or nine guys who might want to slam one, you know, when they're really good it, it's on. possible because he has what he does have is he has good records against the top players hmm. um i think he, he he's had wins against like most of them i think i don't know if he's beat Djokovic. he's definitely beat definitely zverev beat murray definitely yeah, he's beat murray he's definitely beat zverev so he he wins big matches against good players um what what will prevent him winning a slam if he doesn't win one that's an if i, I think he actually could win one uh, is that he doesn't necessarily have it. He's like George says, he's very, he's he's very very solid at everything. Doesn't necessarily have a have a huge weapon. Um, it it would mean him him really, if, if somebody if one of the best players plays well against him, you feel that they'll beat him. Yeah, he's had a couple of wins over Federer as well. He he hasn't beaten Djokovic. I do think Djokovic is probably the one you look at and think. He's going to beat you most times. Just yeah, but Joe, Koric is going to be around for a lot, a long time exactly, after exactly. Um, after Djokovic is done. Exactly. So I think he's, I think he's got a good game style that will cause people problems. Um, it's just staying fit for him. I mean, every year you look at his career, really, or every two years, there's been a new problem. There's been back problems. There's been knee problems. The shoulder problem. Um, you know. I'm not I'm not saying that's his fault, but that that kind of needs to stop, and he needs to have that long period of of staying fit, really, to to get back to where he can be. But yeah, top thirty seeded in great form, and I don't think this. You will maybe talk about this a little bit later on your kind of tears thing, James. I don't look at this U.S. Open as one where it's really clear who's going to win it at the minute. There's there's lots of kind of question marks over people and. It's often finding your best form. Often unpredictable. I'm I'm gonna wheel out a stat that I'll probably wheel out quite a few times in the next week, which is that not since Roger Federer won it five times in a row has a man defended the US Open title. Which is pretty amazing when you think about it. I think we were talking about it this week in the pub, but I'm pretty sure Djokovic has been to about like ten, eleven US Open finals or something. He's only won three of them. I mean it's such an odd tournament in many ways like considering how like consistent that guy is on hard courts like, he's, he's three and six in u.s open finals so it's been to nine he's nine, six nine. um so, but yes you, you're right and and you know they're often against different people yeah. like he lost one to federer he lost two to nadal he lost one to murray one to vavrinka and one to medvedev which again is this indication that it is a tournament that throws up different results um I, I don't really have a good answer as to why. And that's before you factor in some of the kind of madder things that have happened with Djokovic. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes, you know. yes Calvin? Uh, I think one of the reasons, and, and say one, it's not the main reason, one of the reasons it, it throws in wild results is the difference in the weather conditions that happen over the two weeks. Yeah. Probably more so than any other tournament where 
I mean, famously, it tends to be, it, it's so strange in New York at that time of year. The first week, it, it's hot and humid and, and it's difficult. And then the second week, by the time of the end of the second week, the weather changes so much that you're seeing people in coats and jackets yeah. on yeah. the last day. It also, that stadium, it, it can get, I mean, I remember the, the Djokovic-Murray final was basically gale force winds. <laughs> and that stadium, because it has no roof and it's open, it's just basically... It, everything just swirls around in there and so you can get it warm cold windy anything can happen the, the other the other thing that i'm not actually saying necessarily works against Djokovic because i've actually seen it work very much in his favor thinking of like that federer semi-final when he just absolutely knobbed the ball when two match points down in like one of the best returns you'll ever see but um it the crowd there is a really unique experience in tennis, like it, particularly at the slams. It is, it gets like very, very heated in there and a very, very kind of vociferous support that really can impact a match and how it, it, it's going. So, yeah, that I, I think that's a big factor compared to a lot of the slams out there that the main court, particularly at night, uh, gets pretty bloody raucous in there. I've just, um, Calvin's made me panic. I, I was just saying before we came on air that I'm currently packing in an effort to get ahead of the game. And I'm now like, oh no, do I have to say like warm weather stuff as well? I mean, it's a nightmare to pack for, especially when Virgin Atlantic only give you one 23 kilo suitcase for 18 so days. Just make sure, make sure you've got a waterproof because the rain oh. breaks there quite often. Oh, for goodness sake. Is, I think I might buy a waterproof, to be honest. Although, oh, for goodness sake. Right, well, great. I mean, brilliant. It's the most unpredictable Grand Slam for weather, which is literally the worst possible thing <laughs> for me. Um, I looked at the forecast for the first day I land, and it's 32 degrees and 60% humidity. Which... It would broadly be pretty hot there, to be fair. I wouldn't, yeah, I, wouldn't... I don't like that either. I'd like it to be about 24 <laughs> degrees, 20% humidity, with a little bit of cloud cover, and that would be like absolutely ideal. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. Um, the other winner in Cincinnati this week, Caroline Garcia, uh, whom Andy Murray once predicted would make world number one. I believe 10 years ago he said it. Um, I don't think she's going to make world number one, certainly not off the back of one victory in Cincinnati. But I was certainly impressed with her at Wimbledon when she beat uh, Emma Raducanu uh, in a big serving performance that took her to the fourth round for the second time in her career. She's also been a French Open quarter finalist she's up to number 17 in the world i believe now um, but has been as high as four uh, george a breakthrough result for the 28 year old i mean like george i mean it's a set of results you're looking at the names like sakari mertens martich pagula who we spoke about before who's having a fantastic year sabalenka kvitova even in qualifying petkovic can play so can diane parry so yeah it's a it's a really, really strong week for her. I've been quite impressed with her all year, really, when I've seen her. I think there has been a bit of a, a turning of a corner. I mean, we've always known she's got ludicrous amounts of talent. She can play brilliant stuff, but mentally, I guess, there's been question marks in the past. I've seen matches over the years where I've thought, God, that was really bad. I don't really understand how you were quite that bad today. Um, but you know she's had wins over guys like Andrescu throughout the year and stuff. Obviously, Sviontek, um, Key uh, lost to Keys actually. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think it's it's encouraging that you've got someone who definitely is 
capable in terms of quality to to push on uh finally kind of getting there at 28 maybe so yeah i mean i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but like chorich she can arrive into this tournament thinking well the landscape's pretty mad in the women's game what why is this not my time yeah it's uh i mean as the women's i mean the women's game already pretty mad and then you throw in what we just talked about with the us open being ludicrous you a first round loss probably no <laughs> Um, defeats this week we've already mentioned one of them for Rafael Nadal and one for Daniil Medvedev um, probably given that Alexander Zverev has pulled out of the US Open as we suspected he might and that Novak Djokovic is still awaiting a reprieve but looks less and less likely to get a visa um, given that therefore Medvedev and Nadal are the two favourites for the title how concerned, Calvin, should we be that Medvedev lost in three sets to Stefan Tsitsipas and Nadal lost in three sets to, to Borna Chorich? Which of those results would concern you more if you were a big Nadal guy or a big Medvedev guy? Uh, Medvedev's. Because Nadal hasn't been great in the tournaments other than the slams all year. Mm. Um, and then he brings it when it comes to the slams. Uh, Medvedev kind of is one of those players who relies on being dominant I think that's where he gets his aura from, that he's just the he's mundane for the opponents and he's unbreakable and often unbeatable and he's losing a little bit at the minute. Do you think that that time out of the game, George? Like I I know it wasn't a long time out of the game, but you know it was a couple of weeks uh, where everyone else is playing Wimbledon. It gives like a more natural ebb and flow to their season. Do you think that that has had any sort of effect? He obviously had a really good grass court swing, um, and then went over to to Los Cabos and Canada and Cincinnati. But maybe just a, a weird rhythm to his season. Yeah, and don't forget you had the, the hernia earlier in the year as well. Uh, had to sit out some of the tournaments he kind of likes on the US hard courts, etc. It, it's been a bit of a funny, bit of a funny season for him. I feel like. It, He's still being pretty consistent, generally speaking, and hitting a lot of semi-finals, a lot of finals. Um, okay, the other week he lost first round, but that was to Kyrgios, which is not an ideal first round. So I don't necessarily look at that result as a complete disaster. Um, but as Calvin says, you know, he he is someone, particularly in this US hardcourt hard swing, who is used to making finals or winning every tournament in this section. I think the good thing for Medvedev as a kind of counterpoint is that he does seem to have, he does seem to now really lock in at the slams every time. Like even at the French open, he had a far better run. I think we're all expecting given he'd just come back from that hernia, um, Australia. Okay. He lost a rapper in the final, but he, he, it was pretty business as usual. The U S open last year was pretty impressive. So actually of the last few slams he's played, he's done very well or, as well as he could have been expected given kind of injury problems. Um, but look, there's going to be pressure on him because he's the big favourite for this tournament if Djokovic isn't there. He's got mental scars against Nadal. You know, he'd been dominating Sissipas. This is an ill-timed loss for him because if you're looking at people who can beat Medvedev, you probably wouldn't have had Sissipas in that category. Mm. But now there's just a, a slight doubt, a chink in the armour or whatever. And also... You know, he's world number one, don't forget that. And he doesn't want to lose 2,000 points or a significant chunk of them. That that plays on a guy's mind um, 
at this stage in his career when he's thinking I want to establish myself as the best guy. So yeah, I think there's a bit of bit of pressure on him going into this. I, th- I think he's good enough. I, d- I don't think he'll lose early. Like I think it's going to take one of the the top guys to beat him, um, unless someone like Kyrgios draws him. Um, Murray? <laughs> no, I don't think Murray would beat him. Um, but I mean, I think you know it also should be said that. I'm trying to think of a way to uh, say this without offending anyone, but like none of the Russians have been great this year. And I think, you know, they, there's a chance that they're struggling mentally mm. with what's going on, you know, mm. although it's their, their leader who's being an ass and started all this, it's nothing to do with them. And it must be a strange time for them. Yeah. Um, in that none of, you know, if you look at Rublev, Hachinov, um, and the Belarusians as well, as we said, um, Azarenka, Sabalenka, um, any of the Russian girls, they're not, they've not had great seasons, have they? Mm. No, I think it's a good point. And, and that, you know, that interview, that elongated interview that Rublev and Kasakina did kind of touched on that a bit. And yeah, it must be hugely disruptive because, um, you know, it, even Rybakina, when she was asked about who's obviously not Russian, she's Kazakh, but, you know, she effectively lives in Russia. Her parents live in Russia. And she was asked about her parents and, she burst into tears and while that's partly natural because like you know her parents helped her with her career so much but also like it's like well i don't know when i'm going to see them again i don't know how possible it's going to be for me to see them so yeah i, I think it's a very good point Calvin. um i also think we should talk about sephora city passes ongoing quest to become a massive ass um <laughs> like i'd seen him make that suggests that suggests he hasn't succeeded yet well, it's just so weird because it's just not really. He's more weird than an ass, but he seems to be. Again, he was like, no, it's a clip of him just whacking the ball at Medvedev again when he could have just passed him easy, mm. which seems to be his new thing where he's just trying to trying to hit the ball at people for no reason. He hasn't quite grasped when you do that either. Mm. But also he made some like really snide comment about uh, Medvedev, I think, where he said like Koric is just like, he plays just like Medvedev, but he hits the ball harder. <laughs> which I think was like aimed at him and Medvedev don't get on, do they? <laughs> no, no, um, to say the least. You'd um, think that Stefanos would be a bit happier these days because his dad's allowed to coach him from the stands without getting penalised. Yeah. Um, I was just just reading the uh, the guidelines for, you know, there's allowable coaching at, yeah. uh, at the US Open this year. And it's like they've had to tell people that, that you can't split your teams up. So right. obviously you're only allowed to coach when your players at your end, but some people were hoping to like put one coach at one end and like put your you know physical trainer at the other end and then get coached from both ends. But they said that you're not allowed to do that. Um, yeah, I mean at the level I coach at, I will often just swap ends, <laughs> <laughs> and and most of the time I don't even say anything. But I know that the other player is like a couple of players. I won't name them. Have have, have had a word with the umpire about it because I'm yeah. Just seeing as we're on Sissipas as a subject, James, I, I saw you tweet out your kind of your tears of who you thought would be US Open favourites, and it seemed to me one of the recurring comments was that they were telling you to downgrade Sissipas in terms of a favourite and put him down to your your tier four, and I, I thought that was quite quite interesting. It feels like there's not many believers in Sissipas mm. in terms of doing well at this US Open. Do we well, agree? I'll I'll just run for people who don't follow me on Twitter, and there are you know one or two of them left. Uh, I haven't quite cleaned ever, up everyone yet. Uh, I've got five tiers. The first one is the Novak tier, which Djokovic is in on his own, and it's CDC dependent, of course, and we expect he won't be there. But 
Um, tier one, Medvedev Nadal. Tier two, Tsitsipas Alcaraz. Tier three, Kyrgios, Nori, Hercats, Fritz, Sinaberatini. And then tier four, Rude, Felix, Pablo Grenier Booster, Schwartzman, and Chilich. Um, yeah, pe- pe- lots of people. I mean, not many big changes, but lots of people thinking, yeah, Tsitsipas maybe not in tier two. Um, I mean, I, I don't really see why not, right? Like, US Open is traditionally. The slower hard court. Am I right in saying that? Is that is that is that reasonable? Or is it traditionally? Yeah. yeah. It's, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see why not. You've got to have him in there because I who what 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 do people think of who do they think is beating him? So like well, if 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 anyone in the tiers above him get knocked out and the people in the same tier of him get knocked out, which is which is feasible. It's not not unfeasible. You'd have to make him favourite. Like I don't think he's going to win the U.S. Open, but you know you've got two tiers above him there. Mm. For what it's worth, I, I personally wouldn't have Karina Buster or Schwartzman in any tier that's talking about winning the U.S. Yeah, they're not winning it. They're not winning. It. <laughs> <laughs> they well, don't I mean, even tier, to be in the tier. tier tier four is like tier four is like big shock. Like I'm not expecting Chilich, Schwartzman, or Rude to win it either. Like you know, I realistically. Um, but that that is who you're talking about when you get down to like the next level. They're the kind of guys that you're, you know, it, 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 in the sort of five percent world that they're the kind of people you're talking about. I think it's a funny tournament in the sense that I feel it's pretty open on paper, and yet I'm kind of just like Nadal's just going to win this, isn't he? He's just going to turn up. Yeah, and win this. yeah. I mean, that, probably that's... if not Medvedev, but. Well, it feels very Nadal clean up sort of slow. I'd still the, the 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 reason that I put Nadal in tier one, and I was almost had him in tier two to be honest. It's just a fitness question mark. Like just yeah. just don't know how fit he is. Inevitably, like you know, ab injuries are weird at the best of times, and we just haven't really got a a full picture of that. Um, anyway, we shall see. As always with tennis, uh, we need to move on because we need to talk about the Brits uh, who've been going pretty well out in uh, America in the hardcore swing as I I seem to think that maybe it's just the generation of players we've got at the moment but like North American hardcore seems to be a pretty strong surface for for almost all of them um, we've obviously had Cam Norrie who went through to the semi-finals in Cincinnati before losing to Chorich um, he also picked up a couple of decent wins in Los Cabos uh, getting to the final there uh, and also beating Felix there. Uh, Dan Evans has been going okay, albeit he then lost to Karinovic in Cincinnati, which is not a great result, having made the semi-final in Canada. Uh, Andy Murray beat Stan Wawrinka uh, before losing to Cam Norrie. Uh, and Jack Draper, who's playing in Winston-Salem this week, also made it through to the quarterfinals uh, in Canada with uh, five wins there, having come through qualifying. Um Let's talk about the Norrie-Murray match, which is hard to say, which is my main problem with it, uh, but was a very decent match in which Murray took the first set before uh, Cam Norrie came through 3-6, 6-3, um, George, what, what are your kind of overall thoughts on, on that match? Uh, my overriding thought was Murray should have won it, and mm. it was quite surprising how bad he was in a couple of quite big moments there was a really bad volley i think early in the second set probably um where he was on break point and 
honestly, I, I just could not believe Murray missed that shot. It was the sort of volley I'd even expect Zverev to make. Uh, it was just um, ludicrously straightforward. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think it probably spoke quite well to where both players are at the minute. I still think Norrie, against the best players in the world, will struggle to to win big matches, I think. You know the very best. I mean, I, I I still don't think he has what it takes to hurt them um, properly at, at kind of slams. And yet for Murray, it just feels like, oh, sorry, but still for Norrie, he still is getting through every match below that tier at the minute. He's playing so well. He hangs in there even when he's not playing his best. He's like uber competitive and doing brilliantly. For Murray it's kind of the other way around that it feels he's really competitive all the time, but just, just can't get over the line against the right players. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of permanently worried about Murray and where he got to go. So I guess he's kind of back top 50. Now there's been progress, but he ne- he needs to start winning that sort of match. If he's going to really push on, like mm. there's been too many matches like that, where just, he's just not, the same clutch player in the big moments and I'm not even having it down to being like a physical thing now it's just like he is just making weird mistakes at weird moments so yeah and he was cramping badly after the match as well which probably does speak to the more (laughs) physical side as well but yeah I don't know It, it feels like I think he'll just be drifting somewhere between 25 and 50 in the rankings for the next year or two and that'll be that really Calvin, do, do you kind of concur with that assessment after after what we saw in in Cincinnati? Um, yeah, I thought I said on the pod last night last week I thought he'd beat uh, Norrie, and I was feeling pretty confident about that. But it's a difficult one with him because I I I think he's not um, he's not far off, but his problem, and I keep saying this, is is he can't sustain attacks. He gets in, he'll hit one good shot and he'll get himself in a position where to dominate and he just won't dominate. And it's a problem that I'm, I'm now given to think it's just his nature. He, he became the best tennis player in the world, became one of the best, one of the top 10, 20 players of all time by playing in this particular way. And I just, I'm not sure he can change it. Mm. But if he can, I think there's a lot more to come from him. But I... I don't know if he can because it's it just seems to be happening all the time. He can hit the ball bigger than he does, but he seems to want to just try and beat players by dragging them into long rallies and and him beating them because they can't withstand the pressure like he can. The problem is he's not putting them under pressure enough. What, what do we view as a good result for Andy Murray at this US Open now? Not drawing a seed in the first round. <laughs> Yeah, he's got to get a good draw, but it's like one of those. Like, I think if he, like, say, got into the fourth round, I think he'd get so much confidence from that, and it, you'd then put him in the mix because it's such a strange tournament. But his problem is he can't get out of second rounds of tournaments. Mm. Like, so it's not where his whole game. This is the thing. What what you have to understand about Murray is his whole game and his whole career has been based on that he's phenomenal under pressure. He's a great under pressure player and he can withstand that better than any other players. But you've got to get to the stage where the pressure's on to do that. Mm. And and that's what he's not doing. 
he's playing against players who are just playing free and I you know the other week he lost to Ema Ema's rubbish right at that <laughs> level right it, it's you know and that's Andy Murray's not beating that but if he played Ema if he got Ema in the quarterfinals of the US Open he wouldn't lose to it mm. but he's getting him in the first round of whatever tournament it is it'd be interesting to kind of run through when we get gets the US Open next week and you know, actually, kind of think about who in the who in the top thirty or whatever is like the worst sort of seeds for for Murray. I mean, we're probably talking about Nadal, Medvedev. I'd still give him a chance against Sissipas. It was a great great match last year, wasn't it? That that kind of five setter could easily have gone his way. Felix, he seems to struggle against, but but still, I think there's loads of players in that top in the kind of seeded positions that I'd give Murray a pretty decent chance against kind of pulling off an upset. Um, I don't know if that's totally foolhardy to think that. You, you um, could argue, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you, that the first round is exactly when Murray wants to draw these people because he's Yeah, you fresher. want to take over the draw as well. That, well, that, yeah, but, but also the fitness levels at the moment, like as Calvin says, it's partly because he's refusing to play a different type of tennis, but... You know, he's he's been cramping a lot in quite a few matches. Mm. I think he had big cramps against Vavrinka as well. Yeah. And like, you know, we know Andy Murray as one of the... F- I mean, look at him. He, there's no fat on him. Like, you know, he's bloody fit. And, you know, he, he, made, he turned himself into one of the quickest players on tour. Like, pretty much... He had no natural ability to be quick, that's for sure. Like, it was just blood and thunder and guts and hard work. And... You know, I don't doubt that he's not working hard anymore, if not harder. And it's just like there isn't really much left in the tank. So I don't know. I, d- I don't know, James. I don't know. You know. The impression I get is that physically, look, he's he's, he's knocking on a little bit. I say knocking on. He's like thirty-five, isn't he? <laughs> but um, you know, he's, he's the cramps. Not you know, Rafa Varane got cramped last night, um, and he's twenty-nine, and you know, still supposedly one of the best footballers in the world cramp can just happen i don't think that's really anything to do with age or conditioning or anything it's just something that happens but i watch him and physically he looks good but it's the number of times and i I keep saying this where he'll get a ball a three-quarter length ball on his forehand and you think just crack it andy just Mm -hmm. hit it big near the line hit it big and he'll just roll it cross court yeah. And you, you know, and it's it's what's brought him success, but it won't bring him it anymore. But if he if he can change it, I could see him going deep in one of the big tournaments if he can change it because he's he's not far off. Mm. We shall see. Once again, find myself saying it so much. That's why I love about pre-tournament weeks. Um, a couple of quick hits that I mentioned at the top of the show that we're not going to be able to give huge amounts of time. But uh, Kane Ishikori uh, is out of the U.S. Open. Uh, his run of attempts to come back from injury. There's so many players at the moment who of a certain age and a certain era that I keep talking about being like, oh, they're trying to come back. Um, he is one of them. He had hip surgery uh, earlier this year. He hasn't played a Grand Slam since last year's US Open where he reached the third round. Uh, Nick Kyrgios is being sued, would you believe it, by Anna Parlas, the Polish medical lawyer who was in the crowd for the Wimbledon final and he said was the one who was drunk out of her mind. He asked for her to be kicked out. He was asked by the umpire which one she was. He said, the one who looks like she's had about 700 drinks. 
Um, she hadn't. I think she'd had two, one rosé, one pims, which is more than enough, although that would actually render my girlfriend unconscious, in fairness, but she is five foot two. Uh, she said she was too hot. She didn't have a hat. Uh, and she's now suing because, according to a statement issued through her solicitors, it caused considerable harm on the day, resulting in my temporary removal from the arena. Uh, but Mr. Kiros's false allegation was broadcast to and read by millions around the world, causing me and my family very substantial damage and distress. Uh, she says any damages recovered are going to be donated to charity. Um, she's hoping that Mr. Kiros will settle, but is willing to take it to the High Court if she has to which is uh, hilarious. And I think it might be the first time a player has been sued for something they've said to the crowd, and I am entirely here for it. I can't, I can't think of another one. No. It's a pretty funny story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I guess he's... He, he's uh, he's walked a tightrope with a lot of things he said on court, so this... It's mildly amusing. This one's <laughs> well. He's got another. He's got another court date later this month as well. Not that he's having to attend in Australia, but yeah. his case, uh, his case brought by his ex girlfriend of uh, common assault, will be heard uh, in an Australian court later this month. I understand. So um, we wait with interest. George Winter, very short. Any other business? Have you got any? Just saying, uh, keep your eyes out on Big Dominant Team this week. He's about <laughs> to thr- thrust himself into your tears, Jake. Win over JJ Wolf, Dimitrov next. I think he's he's gonna shock us all and reach the second week of the US Open. <laughs> Thanks, George. Optimistic as ever. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much to all of you for listening. Um, we will be back in a couple of days once the US Open draws out on Thursday, and then once the US Open starts, you won't be able to get rid of us. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.